Well, good morning again. I'm, I'm so glad you're here, and I am thankful. Aren't you glad to be back together worshiping this morning? I've missed you. Man, I have, I have missed you guys. I just want to take a moment before I jump in to say thank you. I know that uh, you have been praying for me and for my family as we have battled through this sickness, and I am so thankful to be on the other side of it and to, uh, to be feeling better. So I, I'm just very grateful. You know, you go through seasons where you are reminded of the blessing of the body of Christ. And my family for the last five weeks has been in one of those seasons. And so thank you for praying and serving and just being there for us. You guys are amazing and I've missed you. And I'm so glad to be back at it this morning. And we are going to be continuing in our series called uh, Rhythms of Life where we are looking at these spiritual rhythms that God has given us, or spiritual disciplines, if you will, that he has given us to, um, to live our life, to enrich our life, to connect to him and to know him more, to walk with him. Um, I hope you were able to join Pastor Todd last week as he talked through the, the spiritual rhythm of walking in the gospel and of living in the gospel every Day And this morning, we're going to be looking at another spiritual rhythm or discipline, and this is an outward rhythm. We've looked at uh, a lot of inward rhythms, the rhythm of God's Word and of prayer and of meditating and of, of walking in the gospel. We've looked at a lot of inward rhythms, but this morning, we're going to begin kind of looking at, okay, what is the disciplines then that move out of me as a result of these others that have been working in me? And the first one we're looking at this morning that is kind of an outward rhythm is this spiritual discipline of serving one another. Serving one another. God's Word calls us over and over again to serve one another, right? To meet each other's needs, to care for the body of Christ, to consider the needs of others as more important than our own. And I think though some of us struggle with this idea of serving, because serving someone else, serving the body, usually involves maybe being uncomfortable or feeling like we're being stretched out of our comfort zone a little bit, making ourselves vulnerable, and uh, that's just hard for some of us. And not only does serving involve that, potentially being position us to be uncomfortable, but uh, I, I think one of the great reasons that we struggle with serving, and I know this has been true in my own life, is because serving first calls me to be selfless, right? It, it calls me to be selfless, and this is hard. And I, I think the reason we struggle is because sometimes um, we approach church the way we approach going to a restaurant. What do I mean by that? When we go to a restaurant, at least I know this is true for me, when I go to a restaurant, I have certain expectations, right? I expect good service, expect good food, I expect a great environment, I expect uh, for my needs and what I want to be prioritized and met, right? The issue, though, is when we bring that mindset into the church and we start to see this place as the place just where my needs are met and not the place where I am poured out in service to someone else. And it becomes a dangerous thing. And when we bring that mindset into the church and into the body of Christ, I think we completely miss the example of Jesus entirely and what he has called us to do. Jesus has called us to serve one another. And what I want us to look at this morning is one of the great 
examples that Jesus set for us in doing this. So grab your Bible and go with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 1. This is a very familiar story in God's Word. This is the moment in the upper room where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. So he washes the disciples' feet. And I think there's a couple of important things to remember about this moment. And one of them is this. Um, In just a matter of hours from this moment with Christ, he's going to be betrayed and arrested. And he's going to go be up all night, remember? And tomorrow, he's going to die. That, that, that's this moment, which makes this meal and this moment with his disciples unlike any other they would share. So what is it that Jesus is going to do in this moment? He knows he's going to die tomorrow. He knows what's about to happen over the next 12 hours or so. So what's he going to do with this last moment with his disciples? Look at John chapter 13. Let's start in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Don't miss that. He he knew what was coming. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Aren't you glad that Jesus loved us to the end? That he loved us all, that his love didn't come up short. Thank you, Lord. Verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Verse 6. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, in true Peter fashion, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. And in verse 12 he said, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Lord, apart from your Holy Spirit, um, we are hopeless to live a life that pleases you and to know your will for our life. And so, God, I'm praying that by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, you would illuminate your word to us. We need it, God. 
Um, your word is life. David said your word is a lamp to his feet, a light to his path. It is the promises he clings to in affliction. God, your word says that, you're, you, that the word of God is profitable for us for correction and reproof and training and righteousness, equipping us for the good work and the serving that you've called us to do. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that as we navigate through your word, it would be life to us. It would be light to us and it would train our hearts for righteousness. I said in Jesus' name, amen. What I want us to see this morning in this example of Jesus, which by the way, this is an incredible moment, isn't it? It's an unbelievable moment. Um, what I want us to see this morning is not only the importance and the priority of serving, um, that's obvious. Jesus did it and then commanded us to do it. So we know it's important. We know we should make it a priority. But I want us to try and uncover what is at the heart of serving one another. Why does Jesus call us to do this? What does my serving or my not serving declare about my relationship with Jesus? My prayer is, by the end... If you are serving in the body of Christ here, that you will be encouraged and equipped to remain faithful in that serving. And if you aren't, my prayer is that God would move your heart to take that step. Um, and so there's four things I want us to navigate through this morning. Just four truths um, that I think we see here in the example of Christ. And here's the first one. When you know who you are, you will serve where you are. When you know who you are, you will serve where you are. What is it that liberated Jesus in this moment? Son of God, the Lord of heaven and creation, what was it that liberated him to lower himself and wash his disciples' feet? And the answer is Jesus knew who he was. He knew who he was. Look at verse 1 through 4, or excuse me, 1 through 3. It says, Now before the feast, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. Jesus knew who he was in his relationship with the Father. He knew his purpose in this world. He knew he was from the Father. He knew he was returning to the Father. He was fully aware of the divine authority he had, of his divine origin, of his divine destiny. And in knowing this, in knowing his relationship with his father, Jesus was able to wash his disciples' feet. What do I mean by that? I mean, listen, when your life is anchored in your identity in Christ, when your life is secure in who Jesus says you are, then serving others becomes easy. Serving one another becomes easy when I know who I am in Christ. Matter of fact, it just becomes the natural thing that happens. Why? Because the more I know who I am in Christ, the more I understand this life is not mine anyway. Are you with me? 
The more I fill my mind and my heart with who I am in Jesus, listen, the less room there is for pride and self-importance and for Matt thinking this is all about Matt. That's why we got to know who we are in Christ. That's why we've got to pursue an understanding of our identity in Christ because the deeper my understanding goes of who Jesus says I am, the greater and the freer my drive is to serve one another. This is key to understanding and living a life of serving each other. You know, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus was teaching his disciples about serving. And he said, guys, you know those Gentile leaders, how they lord their authority over the people. He said, you can't be like that. In Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 26, he said this, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your what? Okay, this is where you get, we're going to do this together today. All right, don't leave me hanging. Whoever would be great among you must be your what? Must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As I truly come to know who I am in Jesus, I am secure, listen, to set aside who the world says I ought to be, what the world says I deserve, who my culture says I should make much of, and I am liberated to just own who Jesus says I am and serve in freedom. You know, one of the first ways I think we take this step is in church membership. What do I mean by that? I think a lot of us are not sure what church membership is, and sometimes we don't serve because we're still in a dating relationship. We're a frequent attender. We like to come here and worship. And listen, if you're a frequent attender, I'm so glad you're here. I am so excited you're here. But I want you to know my prayer for you is that you are moved to take that step of church membership. Why? Church membership is that commitment that you make to the local church, community, and family. And it is their commitment to you. It is a church membership is a marker of, marker of spiritual maturity and of your relationship with Jesus because church membership moves us past just attending. It moves us past just being consumers and allows us to fundamentally be connected to one another. Church membership allows you to step into this place and make the declaration that says, I belong here. Because when you declare, I belong here, you become intrinsically linked with everyone else who has said, I also belong here. And in belonging here, we are responsible for here. And in being responsible for here, I'm going to serve here. Why? Because when I know who I am in Christ, I'm going to serve where I am. I'm going to serve where he has placed me. And that, that first step is in intrinsically linking yourself to a body and saying, I belong here. And because I do, I'm responsible for here and I'm going to serve here. I think that's the first thing we see. When we know who we are in Christ, we will serve where we are. Here's the second thing. We are never more like Jesus than when we serve those who least deserve it. 
Okay, this is a hard one. I'm going to be honest with you. I asked the 930 service if they wanted to skip it, and they didn't want to. Uh, it's a tough one. Here's what I know about me, and I bet it's true for you too. I am glad to serve those who I have judged worthy of it. Are you with me? It's easy for me to serve those who I have decided deserves it. I have no problem serving those who have served me. Um, but that is not the example Jesus set. There's a verse that's easy to miss here, but it's critically important. Look at verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. If there is anyone in the Bible that we would look at and deem unworthy of being served by Jesus, it's Judas. It's Judas. There's something important not to miss here, and that's this. When Judas is at this supper, he's doing nothing but playing a part. He's already betrayed Jesus. He's already had his meeting in the dark with the Sanhedrin. He's already laid out the scheme for how he was going to sell Jesus out. Where, when, and how. And as he sat at this table with his friends and with the Lord Jesus himself, sitting at the table with 30 pieces of silver in his pocket, Jesus takes off his outer garment which, by the way, is, is another sign of humility. A man in this culture would never have been out in public without his outer garment. It's another layer of Jesus lowering himself. He takes that outer garment off right in front of Judas. And he takes a basin of clean water. And with 30 pieces of silver still in Judas's pocket, he slides it over and the Lord of heaven gets on his knees in front of Judas and washes his feet. We are never more like Jesus than when we serve those who least deserve it. And if that wasn't incredible enough and challenging enough, he takes the towel from drying the feet of Judas and he takes that basin of clean water and now he slides it over in front of Peter. Now, up to this moment, Peter hasn't betrayed and denied Jesus. But before this meal is over, before they finish this dinner, Jesus is going to look at him and say, Peter, the rooster won't crow before you deny me three times. And he slides that basin of water over. He takes the towel off the feet of Judas, and he gets back on his knees in front of Peter, and he washes his feet. We're never more like Jesus than when we serve those who least deserve it. In my life, there is a great example of this. Um, I have many, but one I'm going to share with you now is uh, one that I told in the previous service, uh, having not thought through the illustration all the way, because I think it was a story my mom didn't know about me, and I was kind of half scared to tell it. Um, but I did. And so when I was a junior in high school, uh, I, was, I was in an English class, and my teacher had given a test, as teachers 
are prone to do. I knew the test was coming. And uh, I wasn't the high school student that really took education serious. And I know, I know all the high schoolers in here take it very serious. I did not. And uh, so rather than prepare for the test like I should have, um, what I did was I created a plan in my mind. And here was the plan. I was going to take a little bitty piece of paper, about this big. And then I was going to write in tiny little print. You know, anybody... Y'all going to leave me hanging or anybody just going to confess? Nobody in this room? All right. Three people cheated. Great. Um, I think you're lying. So I wrote out this tiny little piece of paper. Oh, gosh, it was so little. I was so proud of it, right? I would really worked hard on this tiny. And then I went to take the test, and I sat at my desk. I could walk you into that room right now. The teacher's desk was to my left. So in the scheme that I had in my mind, I took my jacket, put it on my desk, took my backpack, put it on my jacket, my lunch, put it on the backpack, and I created a wall between she and I, right? It was very important, which, by the way, is the telltale sign, kids, that you are doing something you shouldn't be doing, and um, made the wall, stacked it high, got the test, slid my little piece of paper out, and went to work. I was like, oh, this is going to work. This is doing great. You are so smart. Not realizing, about halfway through, she was standing behind me, just watching. Just watching the whole time, just staring at me. I had no clue until she took a step around me and took her hand and went and wadded that test up in front of me, in front of the whole class. Took my little cheat note and kicked me out of the class. Now, I don't know if you've ever been had had an experience of public humiliation. It's really fun. You should try it. Uh, because I did. I, I had one right then. She stood me up, said, gather all your things and get out of my class. Now, that was exactly what I deserved. The next day, I was walking down the hall, and I saw her, and she saw me, and we had that awkward moment like, What's going to happen? Um, and she walked right over to me and grabbed me by my arm and said, I need you in my classroom right now. I expected a speech. I, you know, parents, we have this speech that we always keep uh, in the holster just in case we have to put it out of, of uh, I'm just so disappointed in you, right? I, that's what I thought was coming. Uh, instead, she sat me at a desk and she took that test out, a, a new test, and she put it in front of me. And I'll never forget her words. I, I put them in because I, I didn't want to mess them up. She said this. She said, take this test. I am not going to give you a zero. You were too smart for what you did yesterday. And then she said this. Be better than that. I don't know if anyone has ever said something to you that was a laser into your soul. But that was. She said, be better than that. And she let me take the test. And I passed it. Why do I share that with you? Because she served me when I least deserved it. Listen to me. In our relationship, isn't this what Christ has done for us? Isn't this what Jesus did for us? served us when we least deserved it. His word says this, while we were still sinners, 
While we were still cheating on the test, Christ died for us. He served us when we least deserved it. God help me, how many times I have missed opportunities to serve and love someone because I sized them up and deemed them unworthy. God, let me follow the example of Jesus. Why? Because we're never more like him than when we serve those who least deserve it. Here's the third thing I see. The lowest place of service is the highest place of honor. The lowest place of service is the highest place of honor. Man, our culture doesn't have a context for that truth, does it? Our society has no concept of how that could possibly be true. But if you look at the first three verses of John chapter 13, everything that is said there that John lists out to affirm the Godhead, the deity, the power of Christ is put in there to make verse 4 and 5 absolutely shocking. Look at, look at how John affirms the deity and the lordship of Jesus. In the first three verses, we see the omniscience of Jesus. That means the all-knowing. It says, he knew the hour had come. He knew the Father had given all things into his hand. He knew what was in the heart of Judas. We see the eternal nature of Jesus. It said that he was from the Father, meaning eternally with God, and he was returning to the Father for the rest of eternity. We see the perfect love of Jesus. It says that he loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end. What is John doing? He is declaring the supremacy of Christ. He is tallying up for us all the reasons why Jesus should have been the one getting his feet washed and the disciples should have been on their knees in front of him. And yet the one in the highest position made himself the lowest and did the work of a slave. Verse 4 and 5 says, He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Believers, this is the example we've been given of what it means to be truly great. This is it. In the kingdom of heaven, greatness is not power. In the kingdom of heaven, greatness is not authority. In the economy of God's kingdom, greatness is not position. It is not possession. It is not popularity. In the kingdom of God, greatness is is painted out, it is declared, it is seen in serving. That's God's economy. When Jesus, in the last moments he would have with his disciples, when he wanted them to understand what it meant to be great, he made himself a slave. That's the picture we've been given of what it means to be great. It means doing the lowest serving. John Piper said this. He said, Christians of high standing should give themselves gladly to low serving. 
Christians of high standing should give themselves gladly to meaning what? Meaning that if we have decided there is an area of service in the church that is beneath us, then we are unworthy of every other area in the church. You didn't know I was going to be mean today, did you? I'm sorry. But isn't that true? If we have decided that there is an area of serving in the church that we're just not going to do. That's, I'm, we may not say it out loud. We may not say that's beneath me. But in our inaction, in our unwillingness to wade out into the water and serve, we declare that serving in that way, that's the thing I'm not going to do. And when we declare there's an area in the church that is beneath us, we are unworthy of every area in the church. You know, I think, every time I think about this topic of serving and of humility, obviously Christ is the first one that comes to mind. And, but I also immediately think of Philip. Uh, we meet Philip in Acts chapter 6. He was one of the first deacons that were called. And what I want you to know about Philip's life, I've talked about him before because I just think he's un un unbelievable. Philip before his life would end, would become one of the single greatest evangelists in all of Scripture. Philip was, uh, he planted churches across Asia. He was single-handedly responsible for the gospel going to Africa. He had this, by the end, Paul would come to Philip's house because Philip's, Philip was so important that Paul on his way back to Jerusalem made sure he went out of his way to spend time with Philip. But that's not where Philip started. Philip started in Acts chapter 6 when there were some widows who were not getting all the food that they needed. And the disciples said, we need some men who will go make sure these widows are getting their food and will clean these tables and take care of them. Philip ended as the great evangelist. He started by serving a table. Why do I tell you that? Because some of us have to be willing to serve the table and then trust Jesus with whatever he's going to do next. Be willing to serve the table. Why? Because the lowest place of service is the highest place of honor. Can I just tell you the heroes in my mind are the people who stand out in that hot parking lot and park cars? Oh, Lord, I, I'm telling you, that's not a fun job in August, people. All right? That's, that's a tough one. But those guys who stand in that parking lot and park cars... I love them. People who stand out in the heat and welcome you in. People that sit in a room and rock babies. People who put themselves in classrooms with children to teach them the good news, even if they're not sure a single one of them is listening. <laughs> right? These are, these are the people who are saying, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. Lowest place of service is the highest place of honor. Here's the last thing. Faithful followers of Jesus will faithfully serve his bride. Faithful followers of Jesus will faithfully serve his bride. Look at what Jesus says starting in verse 14. He said, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you, should, that you also should do, just, if I, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Listen, when we are unified with Christ, we are unified with his bride. Are you with me? Here's what I can tell you about the Darby family. You don't get to have me and not have my family. Is that true for you? You can't have me and not have my bride. You can't have me and not have my children. This is my family. Any more than you can have her and not have me, which is what most people want. <laughs> we can't, people take that approach in their walk with Christ. One of the great lies the enemy has sold to people is I can have a relationship with Jesus and not a relationship with his church. Because when we are unified with Christ, we are unified with his bride. And Jesus makes it clear to his disciples that his church, which by the way at that time had 12 members, and they were all sitting around that table, that his church, that they were to serve one another. That's what that moment meant for the disciples. Serve these men around this church. And for us, it is to serve right here. And if you're a guest and you're a member of another church, it is to serve there. It means leaning in to being uncomfortable, to being vulnerable, to saying yes, even if you're not sure how it's all going to work. It means making, serving the bride of Christ, a priority. Because I am unified with this body. Jesus said, I've given you this example to follow. And if I'm the, you've called me Lord and teacher and master, and that's true, that's who I am. And if the master will serve in this way, then the servant of the master must also serve in this way. Which means what? If you aren't serving the bride of Christ, you aren't following Christ. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus said, it isn't enough just to know you need to do this. Verse 17, he said, if you know these things, great, but blessed are you if you do them. It isn't enough just to know I should. It's an, the expectation is that I do. Could Jesus have sat at that table and said, men, you know how I had a servant at the door there to wash your feet when you came in? You should do that too. Sure, he could have done that. That was the custom. The master of the house would have a slave stand at the door as guests arrived. The slave was already positioned on their knees. They would take their sandals off and the slave would wash their feet. Jesus could have done that and said, hey, you know how I had that servant do that? You, you should do that too. But that's not what he did. He washed their feet. He did it. Why? Because it's not enough just to know what we ought to do. The blessing is in doing. And I, I just want to tell you that when you do this, when you serve the bride of Christ, when you serve in the body, you get to be a part of God speaking the gospel into someone's life. 
You get to, this morning, we, the, at the 930 service, we had two baptisms. And those, do you know what that was? That was a picture of God moving someone from death to life because when they came into this place, they were served their children were served, and they were positioned to hear the gospel and respond to it. When you serve, whatever it might be, working in the parking lot, rocking a baby, welcoming someone to worship, pouring a cup of coffee, handing out a face mask, whatever it is, you are playing a part in what God's about to do in that person's life. That's the blessing. When Jesus says, you're going to be blessed if you do this, what he says is you're going to experience a blessing you can't even imagine when you start playing a part in what God wants to do in people's life. Now, I know for some of us, it isn't that we're selfish or that we're even not wanting to be uncomfortable or vulnerable. For some of us, we've believed a lie from the enemy, and here's the lie. We believe the lie that says you have nothing to offer to your church. Has anybody ever, other than me ever believed that? Uh, just, the enemies use that to say, ah, you, you don't got anything to offer. You don't need to step out and serve. Can I tell you that's not what God's Word teaches us? 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter's writing to the church. And he is reminding us that if we are in Christ, then we have received a spiritual gift, every single one of us. You didn't get left out of that. I didn't get left out of that. If you are in Christ, you have been gifted by Christ, and we are to use that gift to serve one another. Because faithful followers of Jesus will faithfully serve his bride. So my question for you is this, as we're getting ready to close. First question is this, are you committed to the bride of Christ? Are you committed to the bride of Christ? I believe there are some here today who need to take that next step of becoming a member. Some of you need to take the step where you go, you know what? I belong here. And I need to link up with other people who belong here. And I need to recognize then that I'm responsible for here and that's not a burden, it's a blessing and I'm going to serve here. That's the next step some of you need to take. For some of you, you belong here. You remember here, but you haven't taken that step of finding a place to serve. And the question is, where do I begin? You begin by saying yes to Jesus. Lord, you have me here. Where do you want me to serve? There are dozens of ways. Ask and you shall receive. Bless the Lord. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let us know you're ready to take that step. And we will point you in the right direction. And we will get you connected. And we will get you resourced. And we will get you serving. And then for some of you, you belong here. You are serving here. I want you to hear me say thank you. Thank you. you, you you've seen behind the curtain in a lot of ways. And you know it takes an army to do what we do. And I'm so grateful for you. And here's my challenge to you. Remain faithful. Don't quit. Remain faithful. Don't quit. How do I do that? I remember who I am in Christ. I remember what he has done for me, how he served me when I least deserved it. And I remember his example, and I follow that example, and I serve his bride because I love him. And he's called me to do it. Let's pray, and then Ben's going to come. Lord, I thank you for your word and for the power of it, for the, the truth of it, for the challenge of it. And God, I am just praying for
my own heart today and for the hearts of your people, Lord, that we would let your word do its work and move us into deeper, more meaningful areas of obedience. And so, God, I just pray for your church and for every heart in this room that you would move us into whatever you have next for us. Let us hear your voice. Let us follow that call and be obedient. Thank you for the treasure of Scripture. Thank you for the blessing of the bride and body of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.